Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Jeremy Fisk and Lee Carlo, baby. We're back at it. Bring in the energy. Three men and three babies, baby. Now I understand what it's like to truly be in the podcast, have a job, and have a baby. So kudos to you guys. Um, it's been difficult to I was watch. I was actually thinking we changed the name of this podcast yeah. to, to Dads Talking About Movies. Three white dads talk about movies. <laughs> oh, I don't know why I have to be white. Though. Yeah. Uh, this week, guys, we are discussing another film from 2000. Really excited about that. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, directed by Ang Lee. Um, and we're not going to do a top five this this week, but we are going to talk about the recent news that a bunch of movies for 2020 have been postponed to 2021. We're going to discuss some of the ramifications of that and, you know, our thoughts and feelings. This Christmas, Sony Pictures Classics and the director of Sense and Sensibility invite you to share an extraordinary movie experience. Okay, guys, um, this stat was a little more impressive in my mind. Fortunately, it's not as impressive as I thought it was, but there are 18 directors who have won two or more Best Directing Oscars. I know we don't really care about the Oscars, but since we don't really have that kind of history with the Fixies, I'm going to use that instead. Um, And Ang Lee is among them. He won the Oscar for directing Brokeback Mountain, which I think is very well-deserved. And he also won a se- his second Oscar for Life of Pi. Now, interestingly enough, neither of those movies won Best Picture. We've talked a little bit about um, that kind of controversy and that, that happening. Um, but uh, so, guys, my question for you is, is now among those. Sorry, that's not my question. Among those people are some pretty elite filmmakers. Uh, Steven Spielberg has won two. I think like John Ford has won a bunch. Elliot Kazan. There's a lot of really talented filmmakers who have won two or more well, Oscars. John Ford was making movies when he was only competing against himself. So, yeah, it doesn't count. <laughs> but let's just so even that's even a better point. Like, um, really, the only other like modern filmmaker who has that is Inaratu, who won two day two years in a row, which is something that we've never talked about somehow. But um, so, guys, I'm I'm wondering what your opinion is on Ang Lee. Um, just to tell you really quickly, like my thoughts are, I think he's an incredibly interesting filmmaker and obviously a very gifted one. Um, and what I will say is that like, even his bad movies are interesting. Like, I think I told you I was like really one of my most anticipated of 2018 or maybe it was 2019 was Jiminy Man. 
I watched it. Not a great film, but he's doing something interesting there with the high high frame rate. And it wasn't an entirely bad movie, to be completely honest with you. So I'm wondering what you guys think of Ang Lee. Is he someone... I'm, I think I'm going to say Ang Lee because I keep going back and forth. But... Um, Rolls I, off the tongue nicer. What, what are you guys' thoughts? Do you think he's someone who's worthy of that somewhat I, elite 18? I, uh, I have to... Uh, if I'm being completely honest, I, do, I have to admit that I... I wish I was more cognizant of him as a director. And sure. I'm sort of not. And and the best way to describe that is that literally 10 seconds ago, as I was looking through his filmography, and this is a microcosm of what always happens with him, I was like, oh, he directed Sense and Sensibility? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did not know that. I mean, I, I was aware of that movie, and I'm aware of Ang Lee. I didn't know the two had anything to do with each other. Um, I knew Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I knew Brokeback Mountain. A lot of his more recent stuff, Life is Pi, Gemini Man. Um, I knew Hulk, because I always thought that was a strange outlier. Um, you know, Lust Caution. That's a Palm Door, right? That must be a Palm Door winner. Um, Don't come in here. <laughs> I'm watching Lust Caution. <laughs> so there's like a lot of movies that he's done that... I was like, oh, I didn't know he directed that. And I'm with you in the sense, Chapin, that I think he's an interesting director. The things that he does are unique, regardless of the movie that he makes. Uh, and I think that is in large part why he is credited with two Best Directing Oscars. Um, and also why, in a, a little bit, his he's haven't won Best Picture coinciding with those Oscars. Because I don't think all of his movies are necessarily great, but he is always doing something interesting as a director. But that's literally where it ends for me, and and I'm a little ashamed to admit that. But I, it's just not a director that's ever been really on my radar. One that I've followed, one that I've paid a lot of attention to. Yeah, it's interesting because I think he's simultaneously like loud and quiet as a director. And what I mean by that is, like he he is he has these amazing visuals. He sort of engages the audience on an aesthetic level on a lot of these movies where you go, wow, that's, you know, that's beautiful. And it's not, it's not necessarily just the landscape like it is with Brokeback Mountain or Crouching Tiger, but like Life of Pi, you, you, you also get that. But at the same time, you, for some reason, you don't think of it as sort of a directing choice. Like you don't, you don't, kind of put it on ang lee as his sort of um style to just be sort of beautiful with his framing i don't know why that is you don't really think about that yeah he's 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 sort of a director without a lot of trademarks and i think that's because He's and, and and maybe that's unfair to say, but like there was some other director we were talking about like that, like who who was hard. It was hard to, you know, it was um, Sam Mendes, like and Mendes or James is, Mangold was it? I think it was Mendes. It was just yeah. that he was he's made such diverse films, such different types of films that it's hard to sort of take away any sort of specific, um, you know, style or technique or whatever. Um, and, you know, like this movie, how much does this movie have in common with Brokeback Mountain has in right. common with Hulk has in common with Gemini Man? You know, like these are these are like vastly different t movies. And 
it's hard to like, I mean, I bet if we drilled down and analyze them more specifically, we could probably find them out. But I, I, I do think it's hard to, with such a diverse filmography to sort of land on connective tissue. Yeah. It would make for an interesting retrospective. Um, all the retrospectives we've done are for directors that we're already pretty intimately familiar with and already knew that, you know, the connecting dots between each one of their movies. So it would be interesting to maybe go through his whole filmography at some later date and kind of see if in fact there are connections. Cause you're right. Like Mendez or, uh, or directors who just, every movie seems to be totally different. I mean, he goes from sense and sensibility to the ice storm uh, to ride with the devil that I don't know what that is to crouching tiger. So it's just completely all over the place. Like you mentioned. And I, that's simultaneously like really cool, but also, I don't know. It, it, I think it, it, it lacks a hook in terms of a director. Like there's not anything for us to be like, Ang Lee is my favorite director because, you right. know, and like I the think, way I think another director that's similar to that is Danny Boyle. To yeah, but he has such a one unique thing to style, the next. So. Does yeah. he though? Like, I think he, so. I think I think in general he's pretty frenetic. And, yeah, and but if he, you look at like the train spottings and and 127 hours and Slumdog, you know those are different than. Yeah, but then he makes Yesterday and Yesterday doesn't count. Steve Let's just pretend Jobs he never made that. and like the, he, he definitely go. Yeah, goes in that sort of direction of just like changing it up. I think. I think I think it, it depends on what the like he he doesn't need to force his style. Both of the, those directors, but the, they don't need to force their style into the movie. The movie and the story are more important for somebody. I think like Ang Lee. Yeah, we talked about that with Soderbergh too, doing that. With, yeah. with Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, basically like looking at the movie he has and adjusting accordingly. And that's smart. That makes for, that, that's a smart director Why don't we the right like choices it, for his movies. Why don't we like it for directors? Why do we? No, why don't we? I just think it, it, it makes it, at least in the case of Ang Lee, it makes, yeah. us, makes it difficult for me to look at him and say, here's why I like Ang Lee. I mean, yeah, I can say true. it. I can say it that simply. It's just like, oh, I like it because he basically does things differently every time, and you know, makes the movie based on what that movie should be. But there's not anything like there is with Tarantino or Nolan or PTA that I can say like, here's the things I like about him. This is what attracts me to his movies because it's always different. So it's not that I don't like his movies or like what he's doing. It's just hard. It makes it hard to follow. It makes it hard to like, you know. <laughs> you know, to follow yeah, him on Instagram. Brain, you know what I mean? Our like, brains can't connect the dots as easily exactly. as yeah. they can with the, you know, a Tarantino and Scorsese and a PTA movie. That being right. said, I do have a lot more respect for him than I do for Mendes, even though I, I think my, I think I probably like a lot of Mendes, like a few Mendes films better, but it I also may that, be that I'm soured on him because of 1917. But do you think that Ang Lee film. is doing things I mean I don't know if this sounds like is this is oversimplified but like is he taking more risks with not just yeah, the movies I, that he's I making he but with the decisions is. he's making in his movies yeah like look at the like the way he's so, making movies I mean Mendez made a great movie in it but he did a Bond movie like uh, you know I mean there's yeah. some, there is something to be said to Why like taking a Bond movie that? That, no that's what I mean there's something to be said about taking a Bond movie and then and elevating it which he does with Skyfall um but 
it's not quite as interesting as choosing a project like Brokeback Mountain or Life is Life of Pi. I just think there's there's a little bit more to critique or not not critique in a bad way, but just to examine and to to discuss with the things that Ang Lee does as opposed to somebody like Sam Mendes. All right, well, let's let's get into Crouching Tiger specifically. Um, I'm curious, when's the last time you guys saw this movie? What were your expectations going in? And what do you think about it? It's been, <laughs> it's been a long time. Thank you for taking over hosting duties, Jeremy. Um, it's been a long time. And even it's though... It's still been a long time, Chapin. I was surprised, yeah. I, I got to be honest with our audience that I didn't... I was 10 minutes away from finishing the film. Um adjusting to life as a a podcasting father doesn't that sound lame but um i really loved this movie when i saw it when i'm I'm almost positive i saw it in theaters and uh i loved it then and uh i'm I'm sure i've seen it again but and i don't think it's been 20 years but um it had been a while because i almost completely forgot the film yeah i i i don't know when i first saw this i own this movie on dvd so i most certainly saw it again at some point i have a very vague recollection of of seeing this movie dubbed in english as well which was probably available on the dvd that came out in 2001 or whenever so again very very few recollections you know some of the visuals that stuck with me um i don't know how i felt about it either i i think it was a movie that i probably convinced myself was important and liked at the time at the time yeah i i have i have i have no honest recollection of how i really felt about this movie which made it in an an intriguing revisit or and sort of an exciting revisit to go into i was really looking forward to this one for that reason yeah um I didn't remember anything of this movie. Okay. So none of us remember <laughs> this movie. Going well, I mean, I think it. I mean, let's be honest. It's twenty years, and we yeah. probably haven't seen it in at least fifteen. Like we're not. It's not a movie we're just pulling off the shelf and saying fifty thousand glasses of wine later. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Um, so th- at first, I was kind of taken aback by just the the clunkiness of some of it and i i'm talking about specifically like the dialogue Mm -hmm. was really sort of just pedestrian and also the the wire work i think looked a little bit weird and Uh i think that sort of dates itself but like when they're running on the roofs and stuff like that it almost looks like claymation um you know, and that might be just the fact that it's twenty years old, mm. but yeah, there's, there's, those were the first two things I sort of took from it, and I was like, because a lot of it is like, oh my, he, this person killed my master, and I must avenge their death, and like it was very, the dialogue was, was very on the, if it, if it had been in English, I think we would have been like, whoa, this is pretty terrible. But I, I mean, think it, because it, of the translation, it gives it a little wiggle room. Yeah, you you have to imagine there's some maybe some fluidity to the to the dialogue in in Mandarin that we mm-hmm. don't get through the subtitles. One would hope. Yeah, I didn't mind the dialogue at all. Yeah, I I, I love this movie. 
I think what, I think this is such a cool. What hooked you initially? That's my question. Because I I eventually like went I I went for it, but like initially, what hooked you? Well, okay. So this is this this movie is part of a is part of wuxia, uh, Chinese, which like without having done a ton of research, I want to just call it kind of like it's kind of like a, a, a Chinese um, like genre of storytelling and. To me, it's like the Chinese Western, you know, it's, it's, a it's sort of a, has a lot to do with the history of, um, of China, but it has this sort of fantastical element. I love that. And I love that, like at the heart of this movie is two, you know, really sort of tragic love stories, you know, one that is one that where, you know, two honorable people, you know, can't you can't, you know, aren't able to sort of consummate their love or, or, or live in their live with, you know, the people they want to be with because of issues of honor. And then another romance where issues of class and, and just differences in lifestyle just prevent them from, um, you know, living out their, their love life. And I I think that's sort of tragic and, and really what anchors the film emotionally for me. But I also just, think all the like martial arts stuff is so cool like it's yeah. just it's uh-huh. just gorgeous and I, I think it 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 you know i was wondering if like the reason i was into this movie in 2000 was probably because i had seen the matrix and i think the marketing campaign like made the connection between the matrix and this um and uh but there's so much more to it than that and i also actually think like this is where all the stuff in the matrix, like this, this kind of Chinese film is, this is where that stuff originated. And that fantasy element just, just really worked for me. I don't know. It just, I, I think there's limits to how good it can be. And, and we can talk about that, but boy, I mean, I, I mean, I do have to say the martial arts were just fun to watch uh, in the way it was choreographed in the way he filmed it. I mean, it was, it was fun. I mean, that part was certainly fun, but the connecting story that got you from one to the next was hard for me. It was hard for me to just invest in that. Um, it was a little lighter than I remembered. Like I didn't, my, my memory was not, uh, I did not remember how much this, how important the sword was. Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I was thinking about this in, with all these 20 year revisits that we've been doing, we've been kind of bringing up this one question about how, how does, how do these movies hold up? Right. And I've been surprised through, you know, almost all of the movies we discussed between this year and the 1999 movies we did last year on how well they all were holding up movies like American beauty and fight club and movies that we thought the themes would age poorly. were all holding up. Well, um, with Crouching Tiger, I think I, I kind of came across the first one that, to me, really wasn't holding up 20 years later. This movie? Um, yeah, this movie. And that's not entirely a bad thing. It was really a little bit of what Jeremy was talking about. Um, the wire work, the things that, you know, you I was marveling at in the year 2000, I, I didn't find particularly marvelous in this movie. I, they felt just unimpressive um and you know i think ang lee is is very appropriately described as a visionary for the work he does in this movie and there's a lot of good things that he does the martial arts the fight scenes the the choreography that you guys are talking about 
uh, is among them. I was really impressed with that stuff. Um, and and that that's what leads to a conversation I want to have later about that. But the wire work, the, the stuff running on roofs and, and treetops and things like that, I just thought didn't look good. And it awkward. It did. What? It looked to me, it looked awkward. It wasn't poorly done. Mm. It just didn't age well. Now, the flip side of this is is the story, which I thought was actually really great. Um, I, I loved really? the character I dynamics. I thought it was a bit all over the place. Well, here's the thing about that, though, is I do think that the, the relationship between between Jen and Lo, which is um, Zi Zhang and, and Chen Chang's relationship, um, that kind of deals with the different classes, Chapin, you, you seem to like that. I, I felt like that, that storyline, especially when it goes back into the... And, and it flashes back to how that began. That that killed all the momentum that this movie had going. And and I thought that that love story also turned out to be a little bit of a meaningless subplot. Like I liked everything else about this story, and I thought it was it was really nicely structured. And it was a it was an interesting story. I mean, like there's all this mythology and history, and and this this genre, I guess, that you were talking about, Chapin, that I thought worked really really nicely. That was the parts of this movie that I thought were excellent. And that kept me engaged, and that's great, but that also made this movie not transcendent because those other things weren't aging as well. You know, those that wire work, that stuff that we, we were seeing in 2000 is what took this movie from just a well-structured story to something new. And with that stuff just not working as well for me, ultimately this movie was good but just not transcendent. Yeah, well, I have a, a a problem with you saying it was well structured. I I think it was a bit of a mess, especially Jen's really? story. Yeah, so I think that, she, I think that her motivations and her story was sort of all over the place, and her relationship with um, Lo and Jade Fox, they just it sort of came in and out, and very convenient. And I, I did not think her character and her whole story arc was at all well written and i think it really hurt i the the only relationship the only relationship i really liked was um between uh chow young fat and michelle Yu. um i thought that relationship was interesting good and i think michelle michelle Yu is amazing in this yeah she's really good she's great and that's a great character too, and, and you know, in a time where, uh, in two thousand, where I think that they weren't necessarily as well one as prevalent, but also just weren't as recognized and talked about. But like an amazingly strong female character. I mean, there's two in in this movie, like amazingly strong female characters that I think are are important. Um, with with Michelle Yeoh and, and Zi Zhang. Now, the Jen storyline, I like the bit of her stealing the sword and basically just quick outline of the story is you have you have Chow Yun-fat's character who's this great warrior that has always fought with this one sword and he decides he's going to retire and he's going to give up this sword he's going to give it to a friend uh who will keep it and protect it and then um Jen ends up stealing that sword kind of for fun um yeah why does she steal it I think that's why, for fun, because she can. She's been trained in the in these Wudan arts that that Chow Yun Fat and Michelle Yao have also been trained in. It's this just really elevated version of martial arts, which they really do well. And like the sound design to like emphasize 
how good these people are at this is really cool in this movie too. Um, and anyway, to make a long story short, there's, you know, there's a lot of complicated relationships between all the characters and, and who is loyal to who. And that all sort of comes to a head at the end. I liked all of that. The, it was just the digression to the love story between Jen and Lowe that I felt like killed the momentum of this movie. And I didn't feel like it was, it was necessary. And, and that was a little frustrating because it took up a good portion of the movie. I mean, the, the Lowe character, who is, who is Jen's lover, she's, you know, uh, engaged to be married to somebody else, had a, uh, arranged, never arranged to be married to somebody else, you know, within her fam- uh, that her family sets up. And um, her lover, Lowe, it just, just felt pointless. And it was weird because, like, I thought the story was going in the direction that he was the one that has trained her so well. Chow Yun-Fat is constantly asking, like, who trained you? You didn't learn this from Jade Fox, who, who as it turns out, killed Chow Yun-Fat's master. mentor, master. master. And he, he, you know, wanted to avenge uh, his master and kill Jade Fox. And now Jade Fox is is Jen's mentor. So there's, a, you know, there's these overlapping storylines. But Chow Yun-Fat's character knows that Jen wasn't trained by Jade Fox because he knows that, that Jade Fox isn't that good. But <laughs> what I thought was funny is it turns out, like, really, it just turns out you can just read the Wudan manual. Like, that's that's how you get good at it. Yeah, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff like that that was just kind of a little bit eye-rolling. Um but I liked that stuff. I mean, I just, I, I liked the idea of these just like talented martial artists competing with each other sort of to prove who's the best. And like all the other stuff is kind of noise in the background. And maybe that's not great storytelling, but it was still, I thought, structured well. You guys didn't like the martial arts in this movie? It was so I did. Cool. I loved no, no, the, that, that, was maybe, that was the thing I the liked. Martial arts I watched it on my phone or whatever, and maybe the effects don't hold up as well. No. But, God, let's let's like, make this geez. very clear. The martial arts, the fight scenes are actually really well. And, yeah, they're, and they're awesome. They're cut together really well. The editing is great. Although I think that's interesting because um, <sighs> Tim Squires got nominated for best editing for this like movie. Oh, no, I didn't win. Uh, yeah, he he lost to uh, traffic, which makes sense. Um, and all the fight scenes and stuff like that, really well edited. The scenes and dialogue were choppy. Like, it was cut together very stagnantly, and it was distracting. Um, but that's sort of, sort of a side note. The martial arts stuff was great. The fight scenes were great. The scene kind of in the, in the gym, I, what do you call that? <laughs> With uh, the with, training facility, with, yeah, yeah, like the uh, dojo, the training facility, the dojo. Oh, no, that's Japanese. That's Japanese. Ooh. Man, that was an awesome scene. That was so good. And got speaking of like, so this, <laughs> I'm all over the place. I'm, I apologize. That's so okay. I'm watching this movie and I'm like, God, Tarantino stole everything from this movie for Kill Bill. But then I'm like, No, he stole everything from the movies that this movie is stealing from. <laughs> well, they all have the same choreographer fight choreographer you and ping so um matrix this uh kill bill kill bill yun yun ping was the fight choreographer for all this and he directed the sequel which is available on netflix so yes 
Chapin, the martial arts, the fight scenes are great. The wire work, the stuff up on the trees, on the rooftops. Yeah. Amazing, looked, right? No. 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 Come on. It didn't look Awkward. good, Chapin. Come on, guys. Come on. Get on the ground. Get your feet on yeah, the ground. Yeah, get your feet You're on the ground. Around no, it's magical. There. It doesn't. Okay. I And I like that, I, Chapin. I have talked before about like inserting these like fantastical things into a, a realistic movie. And this yeah. movie does that. I like the idea of it. I love the idea that these people can do this. That's a cool story. It doesn't look good. <laughs> I think Chapin. it looks great. And there's I no disagree. shame the in stuff, saying it doesn't look good. It's 20 years old. The bamboo trees is amazing. That stuff no, looks that great. Looks, that Again, looks I watched than... it on my phone, but... Okay, well, that was yeah. a mistake. Uh, the, the... <laughs> <laughs> what, like, yeah. what looked bad about it? It doesn't look... It, was it looks clunky. fake. It looks fake. It was clunky. It looks it's, like they're on wires. It's It's real. It looks like they're on wires. It also looks like why? Why are they fighting up? They're like bouncing up and down and and circling their swords, waiting for the you know momentum to take them up to each other. Like, just get on the ground and fight. Jeez, uh, fight like a man. Yeah. I did love that. Like, what are the rules here? Because he like knocks one of the trees and she like falls out of it. But she's been flying the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's you're, true. You're falling. Now she's oh, falling. I can fly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But it's... I liked this movie. And it was actually, a, it was a, I didn't want to shut it off. And in many ways, I kind of wanted it to keep going because I thought there were interesting characters. There's like a, and, and like, I, I didn't, I never saw the sequel. I know it did poorly, critically, but like, oh, there's like, there's like a huge mythology here about these swords and like these warriors and this this Wudan training and stuff like that's all so cool. I love movies that, that dabble in that. I, and I'm always, I, I'm, it's probably good that I like I'm it not given too much information about it. Like that would get overwhelming. But so like, there's so much in this movie that I like and I just, Jeremy, you use the word I, clunky. I, I think that's harsher than I felt, but it didn't feel seamless. See, with all the mythology and and everything you were talking about, I, I think this movie needed to be expanded a little bit. It's scope to be expanded. Sure. Because it's it felt convenient that it was just these, like, three characters, essentially, that kept sort of... Or four characters, if you want to count Jade Fox. She was a big part of that. That sort of kept running around into each other and kept stealing the same sword over and over again. And, like, it felt... That part of it, just that's where the structure of it didn't feel right. And then they have these like sort of sweeping epic scene, like Lawrence of Arabia scenes in the desert. And, Get rid like, of that, all that. Get rid of all that. Well, well, Still I'm a ninety-minute like, movie. It's fine. The world that they create is is vast and giant, and they can you know they have hundreds of extras and camels and this and that. But really, with it, and, and all this mythology. Yeah, there's only these, like eight people in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and all, and all, and all this weaponry that has this history and all this interesting stuff. But really, the, the story comes down to the same four people sort of running into each other over and over again. And I would have loved to see this movie sort of expand upon the world that they created. And it a is a small. Bit more. A small story. I was struck by that. Like, you know, she steals the sword. They're after the sword. Like, there's not there's not a whole lot to it. <laughs> and what, it's interesting you brought up the dialogue, Jeremy, because uh, you know when you know if you if you if you try to you know 
nitpick this idea of like just these few characters that conveniently run into each other. You know, Jade Fox has been in hiding for all these years, and the reason yeah. they find him is because this. We learn through this this like quick ex- scene of exposition that this police officer followed her here and has been on the case. Like it after this police officer's killed by Jade Fox, somebody's just like, "Oh, he was he was a police officer. He was following her here." So there are moments like that where you're just like, "Okay, that that was you couldn't have found a a, a, a better Any way to sort of get that in here." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And yeah, like I, there's always I, I find stuff like that a lot in in um, foreign language films that I I dismiss because I think there's a language barrier and there's probably like I said a fluidity to the to to the version in Mandarin that you know works better. Um, but maybe in that case, like it was just I mean that's that's your explanation for how you got all these characters in one place. Okay, well. Is there anything else you guys want to say about this? I, I want to just move no, on. For defend a, it, Chapin. Another, what, what, no, uh, I mean, I, I, I... Watch it on your phone. I just disagree with what you guys say. I think this is a great movie. But what I'm curious about ask, is asking you is, like, what does it say about 2000 that this movie was, was so big? Like, I don't want to chalk it up completely to the success of The Matrix because I, this movie did really well. It, it was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. Um, it made a ton of money. I remember it was a big hit in the United States. So, um, I don't know if you have this information available to you, Chapin, and I'm sure this is not... I'm, I'm sure I'm not really on the right track here, but I'm wondering how much money this movie made after it was nominated for 10 Oscars. How much money it made uh, domestically. Hard to tell. Let me just let me just look at that real quick. Um, because, I mean, that's a lot of nominations, um, and it was big nominations, yeah, too. It probably did a little bit of business... Um, Afterwards, it looks like. So this was released. Well, yeah. So well, this was released in in the U.S. in January of two thousand one. So it's you know Oscar nominations probably came out shortly after that, maybe a month later. Yeah. Um. So anyway. No, it came out right around there. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of ex- success probably had to do with the Oscars, but um. Yeah. What? So yeah, I'm just so I'm just wondering, like, but. I think the question still stands. Like, yeah, what, I mean, I think, that, like, yeah, it's that's a it's great. I mean, it's it, I, it's got to be similar to something that happened with Parasite, um, where word of mouth was just like you know. I think a lot. I think it's not just the influence of the Matrix people seeing something similar, and like finding a movie that they liked and going to see it. I think it, it the Matrix served almost as like a, a recommendation piece. So if somebody saw this and liked it, they say, "Oh my God, this was great! You should see it." Did you like the Matrix? You know what I mean, and and that's but that the only additional thing draw. This and the Matrix have in common is that they sort of have similar fight choreography. Yeah, but sometimes that's I mean, that's really all. Sometimes it, people need to get a recommendation. That's true. I mean, this kind of like wire work like spread through Hollywood. Like I'm I'm looking at this scene right now where the, from some dumb DMX movie where Jet Li is like playing football, but he's using wires to. I don't know why you're calling that dumb. Um. Okay, well, let's move on. You guys, you guys uh, happy uh, with that? I had one question that I was thinking about watching this movie. Um, when it comes to f- choreography, specifically with fights, like, at what point is choreography? Like, I feel like there's a fine line between 
like excellent fight choreography that like just makes it look so natural and cool and all but then borders and, on you know it's choreographed yeah like between it it working and being robotic right and i felt like this movie balanced that line very very carefully like it was teetering yeah. on the edge and i'm watching and i'm like this is I clearly think a lot of that has to do with the performance out I think the performers were amazing. I think Chapin, I'm not saying this is thing. bad. Like you, you're you on the def- you're like you totally are. on the defensive here. Like I loved those scenes, but there is there is an element to it where you're watching it and you can tell it's choreographed, it, which well, makes it I a little I, less natural. Yeah, but they're also they I mean they're also flying, so you sort of give the you know any of that you forgive that. A little bit and i don't really think it was there i think i think the performances were amazing in in the choreography and they've really they the actors really sold it mm-hmm. and i think so too i mean I, 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 I mean that's the one part of this movie i think you cannot dispute is just how thank good you. thank you Jeremy. that choreography was <laughs> i think i'm agreeing you with you <laughs> i think that you just have to think like what i i know i know what you're saying lee i don't think it applies to this film i think a lot of times you do you do such elaborate things and you take actors who probably aren't physically fit or didn't have enough usually didn't have enough prep right mm-hmm. to to make this and, and it looks rehearsed it looks um you know like it like it was something created by a fight choreographer but with this with this i think and, and i think we've talked about this a little bit with chinese films and especially as it pertained to john woo like they just have a different style of making movies in China. And like, they have like 120 day filming schedules because they're like up on wires and their actors are really doing it. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, like, and I really respect that. I think that that's a really interesting kind of note of, of Chinese film. It's, 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 uh, you know, I don't want to see the labor laws that allow, you know, a, a fifteen million dollar movie to have a hundred and twenty day shooting schedule. But um, you know, but besides that, like, uh, you know, can we break just just for our audience? How much, Jeremy? How much would a hundred and twenty day shooting schedule cost? Well, it depends on the movie, but sure. But I mean, this. Well, let's say a hundred the hundred and fifty dollar, the hundred and fifty million dollar movie. Uh, the R.I.P.D. How many days was that? Like eighty? Uh, I think less, if I can <laughs> yeah. remember correctly. Yeah, I and think that's it was a less. big effects movie, complicated. What's the longest movie you've worked on? Was that it? Uh, what about Shutter Island? I think Shutter Island was the longest shoot schedule. Marty, you R.I.P.D. Shoot too many takes, Marty. R.I.P.D. could have been it. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. It, it was. It was one of those two that just, ah, uh, just yeah. Um, okay, so guys, let's move on. Um, let's do it. So we sent some articles back and forth to each other. Um, I think I initially heard about it on the big picture, but Disney and I think a bunch of other people basically wiped the slate clean for 2020. I don't think we're going to get any big movies anymore in 2020 that were not already meant for um, streaming services. So there's a bunch of really exciting Netflix movies coming out. Mank, which I think we might talk a little bit more about on this podcast um, on this particular podcast, but also uh, the trial of the Chicago Seven by uh, Sorkin, and there's some other ones that we're really excited about. I think, um, and so I do have a specific question for you guys, um, and I'm you know maybe Jeremy, you can shed some light because I know you're you have and are you working on a Netflix movie right now? Actually, yeah. yeah. Um, 
the sort of the economics of it. Now, in this day and age, this was mostly led by Disney, and Disney has a streaming service. But pretty much everybody has a has a every major studio has a streaming service that they're connected to, or you know they could always sell their film to Netflix, which a lot of people have done um, in the pandemic. And so I'm just wondering, like, what is the difference between a film like Mank, a film like uh, what was that dumb Michael Bay movie that uh, cost a hundred was the most expensive movie Netflix had ever made? Let's just say The Irishman. What's the difference between a movie like <laughs> Michael that? Bay's The Irishman? <laughs> Michael Bay's The Irishman. Why don't they just put these movies out on on streaming? You know, like I I I I know that they've got a budget. I think to it recoup, has to do with the but, subscriber base. I mean, I don't know what Disney's numbers are for their their platform, but I know Netflix obviously. It's more expensive, a lot more expensive. What does it cost now? Like $15 a month or something like that? And they have a lot more subscribers. They're basically printing money. I mean, we're all paying, like $15. Disney's Disney's is huge. Anybody with kids has Disney Plus. Yeah, right. But you got to think about it. I think Netflix has a lot more. People are paying a lot more. Yeah. 15 times whatever uh, 4 billion or whatever amount of people that have Netflix at this point every month they're basically just printing money I don't Disney I'm sure they have a lot but I think it costs like what six dollars yeah right now I don't think they're at the point that Netflix is at where they just want to throw everything on their streaming platform I think I think the recognition and getting people into the theater still applies to some of those movies. I, I could be wrong, but that's I mean, my thought. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, I think these these distribution companies or these companies like Disney and whoever, we're, we're looking at the streaming platforms and probably working on how they were going to roll out successful models over the course of the next several years. And then all of a sudden they were put in a position where they had to decide whether or not they could do it right now or or push all their movies that they were going to release in theaters. So I think they're just not prepared. They, I mean, I think Disney is an interesting example because they tried to release Mulan to subscribers who then also had to pay an additional $30 to rent the movie right. on their on their platform. That's right. an asinine plan, and it didn't work very well. And I think that's just an example of how they haven't really figured out how to make the streaming platforms recoup the dollars that they're losing from from uh, lack of theater uh, theater goers. And that's fine. Like it's not their fault under the circumstances. I think they probably were uh, equipping themselves to make Disney Plus profitable for them in a number of different ways over the course of time. They just weren't prepared to do it right away. Now, do you think that's a mistake, though? See, this is my question because the difference between the how, like, let's say Mank costs a hundred million dollars. It probably didn't, but let's let's fine. Let's call. Let's, I read an article that said the Irishman could have cost up to two hundred and fifty million dollars. So that's a that's more expensive than than Tenant. Um, like there is no economic difference. Well, this, well between, that's my point. Between releasing Irishman on Netflix and releasing Mulan for free on on Disney Plus, like it's the same. Like they all want to get into the business of Netflix. Like Netflix started this business. Oh shit! 
What happened? Hello? I, we can hear you. Yeah, we got you. Oh, lost them. 41 minutes. Sorry, guys. We could hear you. Okay. Yeah. So 41 minutes. My, I guess my point, yeah, don't stop recording. Okay. Um, my, my point was just that I, I think they're all, they all want to be in the Netflix business. They want to do so why business not just the do way it? Netflix. Why not just do it? Why not double down? You've got an opportunity for, you know, I mean, think about like they launched, and I'm sure it's contractual with um, Christopher Nolan, but like Tenant came out and th- like the problem is okay so like i guess we can assume that mulan did not do well on disney plus because disney has not decided to release all their movies that way maybe um but we know that like there was i think trolls world tour like did really well for universal not that that's like a great movie or anything but it's a kids movie it did well um i guess the stakes are a little bit lower but like think about launching hbo max with tenet you know like that's a different story yeah, I just think that I just think that these studios are are struggling. I don't know. I, I look, I can't get inside their their meetings, you know, but like I just have to imagine that maybe there's there's been a challenge. You've been trying to you've been trying to sell those guys boxes of wine for years I, and yeah. you just can't and get I just in there. can't get in there. Um I just I just I imagine there's a possibility that it's a struggle convincing everybody that needs to be convinced that the economics can work the way that like the way that they had planned or at least you know equal to or slightly lesser than they had planned going into 2020 so like for for them to just say oh shit we can't make any of the money we're going to make in theaters now we're talking with disney so we're talking about avengers movies we're talking about you know um not this year but like star wars movies like big big movies so you're not going to make the kind of money even with subscribers that you'd make with the amount of people that go see, you know, black widow in the theater. And I think it's hard for them to say, like, if we just transition to a Netflix model and put all these highly anticipated movies on our platform, we will get a lot of, we will get more and more and more subscribers and that will have a, a snowball effect. And, and we will continue to grow that way. You know, it's a long, it's a, it's a, a long-term point of view that I think there just must be a, there must be a struggle making, getting everybody on the same page in basically such a short period of time. All right. Well, I can, I can tell, like, I'm looking up like subscriber base and numbers. And I think that really has everything to do with it. And Netflix is just so far and above everybody else. Right. But they're trying to, but everybody else is trying to build and become Netflix and they're not going to do that unless they have content. Like that's the whole game is making content. Like when, when, when but Netflix, do you think that that's truly the case? Do you think that their Disney wants to be Netflix? I think they want Disney plus to be Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, but they, 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 they don't want an incredible then, amount of money. But to get there, they don't want to forfeit do what they make at the theater from black widow. No, I, I agree with you there. But, but my point is that, in this time of uncertainty, when you don't know when movie theaters are going to open up, like it's very possible that all these movies they've got scheduled for 2021 might not come out. Like they may not come out at all. all and, right, so and, just- and we know from Jeremy that and other people that they're making movies. So they're going to have to make room 
for these movies anyway. So Jeremy's working on a movie right now. Other people, are, they, they got, they, in, to some respect, they've been making some things that will be released. And you're just going to have a crowded release schedule. I guess my, I'm not really concerned too much about that. My, my point is that I think everybody for some pe- people want to be in the Netflix game, as I've said. And I think Netflix, we, as we've discussed many, many times, like when they invest $250 million in the Irishman, again, I don't know if that fact is true, but an incredible amount of money in the Irishman. $600 million is the last figure I read. <laughs> I don't think they sit back and say, we're going to get X number of subscribers. It's a long game, as you said, Lee, and it's also a complex one. It's like if we win an Oscar eventually, we will become a prestige studio and we will get, you know, like I, I don't know that. I think like Netflix is is the model because as you've said, Jeremy, the revenue and the amount, the amount of subscribers is incredible. But they are what they are because of the risks they've taken because they've yes. made these great decisions and but invested a lot of money in content. I don't think they're trying to get. I mean, more subscribers is obviously great for them. But at this point, they are just trying not to. The reason that they're making content is to not lose subscribers. I think. Sure. Sure. Um, they just want to keep those people. Tomorrow, they lose all those NBC shows. That'll be interesting. Right, like stuff like that. That's why they need their own content. So, just here's the numbers. I don't know how uh, real this is, but this is something I found. Netflix streaming has roughly 183 million paid subscribers worldwide as of march 2020 um how many 183 million right and it looks like disney plus has 60 million and hulu no it's well according to this it's less so hulu has 30.4 million disney plus launched in november 2019 and by the company's first fiscal quarter of 2020 had 26 and a half million okay well that went up because first the, quarter covid in, began right after that so that number does. in the united it states 60.5 yeah and now it says it, it has almost 60 million so yes but, but here's still. the thing about disney plus is is i i don't know that they I don't know how much interest Disney has in releasing a lot of new content on that platform like they they had a smart rollout like they released all of these old Disney movies from their their vault which was such a brilliant marketing term that they used when they put all those movies away and like I just think you know the draw of Disney plus is all of these movies that and shows even that that Disney owns now that you have available streaming that you can go into like anytime I'm on that platform which isn't very often but anytime I'm on there I'm I'm amazed that the I'm like oh my god this movie's on here this movie's on here it's it's incredible the amount of movies that they have available to stream I'm never on there or I'm never impressed by the new one they have on there like before you know, Mulan or any of these movies that, that were sort of forced onto that platform, it was like the live-action Lady and the Tramp. I mean, who cares? Nobody really cared about that. That went there because they probably learned from Aladdin that nobody wants those movies anyway. So Aladdin was a huge hit. I know, but let's... And Lion King was big, too, but um, I just think... Well, I think that's a, that brings up an interesting point of view that I wonder is worth considering is that they, I mean... Because Disney is a, is a both a, a, a old a major studio and also a streaming service now they they have essentially eliminated the video market like um, you know you have 
like 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 the new Star Wars movie and I, like the the couple that you just mentioned, Lee. Um, they just, I mean, they they spend a couple of weeks, I think, between when they're out of theaters and not on Disney Plus. But they just they come to Disney Plus pretty much as soon as they leave theaters, yeah. and so there's a certain amount of revenue that they just write off because, you know, people buy DVDs and I guess people still buy DVDs and, and having Disney plus doesn't mean they, that you're completely erasing that, um, that market, but you are, I mean, what person would spend $19 on a Blu-ray when they could have four months of Disney plus for that? Yeah. I also wonder, and I don't know if I entirely believe this, but I also wonder if some of these companies are a little concerned about setting a precedent with releasing all their movies on a streaming platform. Like Now, I think if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that movie theaters will, if they make it through this, will survive. That people want to go back to the movies that... Uh, home theaters and streaming is not going to be the thing that that ruins movie theaters. It could be COVID-19, but it won't be the streaming platform. So I don't know if this is a valid concern, but I wonder if they are thinking like, man, if we start putting uh, Avengers and Marvel movies and we start putting our bigger movies on these streaming platforms, are people just going to start getting more and more comfortable with seeing them here? Yeah, that's a good and point. waiting, and 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 we lose those that revenue in the theater when that all you know starts to come back. And I w- I, I'm sure it's a conversation. I don't know if it's a, a a legitimate concern, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a le- legitimate concern for theaters. I, I'm worried about the theater experience going away eventually because yeah, of I mean, streaming. I, I never yeah. bought. I don't think so. I oh, never I think I think that this is proof that, that it think... won't be because take Tenant for example. Like I, I just it's not doing well but in I... theaters, but like no. it, it it was just had to be released in theaters like now. It couldn't wait. It couldn't any like that. I just think that to me proved that people want theaters, movie movie studios, filmmakers, audiences want to see movies in the theater. But. T- you don't think that the complacency of watching it at home is is taking away people from the theater? I I don't like think any any more than it was. Bit, and I don't think, I think it is. I think there's a I, lot I of people that aren't going. I definitely think it is. I just don't think that it's the nail in the coffin. I do think that there's a, like COVID could definitely be a, a nail in the coffin, but right. Um, but that's a whole nother story. That's that's the. But the combination of the two is is deadly because, like, what you're what you're yeah, seeing now is yeah. But I think it's eighty percent COVID, twenty percent streaming in that case. Like, it's just the theaters aren't have nobody's no, going to the movie theater. That's why they I can't know that, survive. I know that, Lee. But what I'm saying is to Jeremy's point is like, if you combine a fear of public spaces, which is a, a smart one to have now, right. with an ease of access. I guess I'm like, just looking. That's like think about our our slate for this year like what we're just talking about right now we ju- we're not going to be able to see any other movies the only movies we're going to talk about new movies are going to be netflix and amazon prime if there's any i don't know anything's come like all that we're going to be able to talk about this year is streaming because we're not going to the movie theaters until the end of the year probably um and unless tenet comes out on video at some point like i mean that's just 
it's it's just going to be the talk of 2020 and like yeah like you could write this whole year off but that does i mean that's a leg up that i think is not one you should write off you know what i mean right no that makes sense i mean i think i I, i'm not dismissing the idea that theaters are up against it for a number of different reasons i just think i i think that at least to me it's become clearer through this that streaming isn't going to take over a uh, ruin theaters on its own and that was that was the discussion pre-covid was was the was streaming going to become so prevalent that people were going to go, stop going to movie theaters and i don't think i think this has proven that that won't be the case now there's all these other uh, other factors contributing that could you know uh you know permanently harm theaters but that's that's another story um i mean I, I, it's, this is an interesting conversation, Chip, and I was curious because you had said when we read about Disney postponing all their movies that you didn't think it was a good idea. And I was curious to hear your thoughts on that because my first reaction was the opposite. I was like, I think this is... I mean, I had been saying since this all began, why aren't more studios just pushing all their movies a year? And I know there's financial ramifications for that. But, like, I, I thought, I thought the idea and and what they ultimately did in releasing 10 from a financial perspective was was really dumb i thought it was tenants of bomb i mean it's it made it's made 40 million dollars i thought it was a terrible idea and and you can give me all this crap about you know nolan wants to to support theaters like well i guess he is but you know it's just i I think it was a, a bad move and i think that's why because that movie hasn't done well is why these other uh, studios are moving all their movies. And, and my reaction to that was good. Let's do this. Like it's, it's forcing okay. people to make safer choices and you know, yeah, no, I, hopefully I we get back I, to them. I think, I think it's probably the wise financial decision, but it's a, it's a short term decision. Like, like I said, I mean, I think it's hard to measure what it would be like if you put out Black Widow on Disney Plus or like, I, I don't think you can quite. I do think it's you know, strange. I, like, I don't think what? one movie, one movie wouldn't make the difference. But if you like, if you put out all the Marvel movies or, you or, know, or, or what about everything but the Marvel movies? Like, I mean, this yeah, would be or, or this that. would be like, over Spielberg's dead body. But what about West Side Story? Like, like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, the, Every movie but the ones that are going to make six hundred million dollars in the theater, put on Disney yeah, Plus. Your subscriber I, I, base will skyrocket. Like I, I, I think that probably well, would have been a good move. But I don't know that that's the case. And again, I think it's a long game. It's not going to pay off. I just I think you're right. Like they just aren't programmed to think that way. And but I I do think there's a missed opportunity here. Like think about if they just said we're just going to release the movies we're going to put them out on our streaming services and then you actually would have a real oscars like you'd like is there going to be an oscars this year like what's going to win bad yeah, boys for I, life that's what i <laughs> yeah. wanted to bring up is like what is the award season going to be like i, I mean, mean a lot of people have been asking about the fixies i mean the I mean, fixies yeah. will go on but we you know we're going to just have to i mean i sent you guys a list it's not going to be the best year ever I think, but I think on the flip side of that, it could be a really interesting year. I mean, I sent you guys a list of all these movies from 2020 that are, are currently streaming, either to rent or or available for free. I don't know how many movies I have on here. 15 movies, 10 movies, 
probably 15 movies. Yeah, but they're still think... not going to be the big ones. They're not going to be the ones that normally at the end of the year we're going to be the best picture at the Fixies. I guess just like well, we don't know think that. about we don't know that. Think about May. I mean, look like, at some of the movies that were. Were... Yeah, I mean, there's movies like Mank and Trialist, Chicago Seven, and stuff. But like, if you look at last year's Fixies, I don't have them all in front of me. But like, uh, some of my some of my top ten best picture nominees: uh, Waves, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, uh, actually, no, Jeremy, this is yours. I don't know why I have yours. I had. Um, now I can't even remember the name of it, but uh, there was another movie that was streaming on Netflix. That was a really small movie that I had in my top ten that had a really weird long title. The, well, the 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 two popes, we, the two was popes, Netflix. yeah. We but all like, I'm yeah. not just talking, yeah. but like that still had bigger stars and stuff. Like I'm talking about these just like smaller movies that were still great movies. Like, yeah, we're not going to have like big tentpole movies on at the Fixies, but and I'm I, I'm in I'm not suggesting that like the Fixies will be the Fixies. It's going to be different, but I think. You know, where I don't know, like I can I can imagine a scenario where the Oscars have nothing to choose from and still don't choose some of these smaller movies that but the Fixies will like we'll we'll talk about the movies that were the best of the year that we were able to see. And if they don't stand up at all, if they if they would have if every one of my top 10 movies from 2019 would have been ahead of my number one of 2020, then so be it. But. You know, no, we're still gonna get them sprinkled in. We're gonna get the a few like surprises and ones we really like. But I'm just, I'm just saying. I think a there a big chunk is gonna be missing. I agree. I, I think you have to look beyond. Like I'm looking at Netflix stock price in the last six months has just been like a steady rise, and it's not the same. But like Amazon, like these services that obviously benefit from being at home. I think, again, I just think there's a missed opportunity and I think some creative thinking would go a long way in making this like, like you've got these assets, like use them. And, and 2021 is going to be like the most crowded movie year ever. Right. I mean, it's gotta be. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, well, let's I, hope. Espe- yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Especially since, it, it might end up be the point where they're going to be trying to cram them all into the last six months of t- 2021. I mean, who knows, but yeah. Well, let's hope that like movies like mine that I'm working on continue and get made. That's the other thing is like, we're not a hundred percent sure. I mean, movies have slowly started back up, but there's definitely true, a yeah. dipping of the toe in the water here. There's not a full fledged cannonball into the deep end. Um, so I, I mean, let's just hope the, it keeps just going. The tip. We just put the tip in right now. <laughs> Well, on that note, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Just the tip, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll be back next week with another movie. Um, not a new movie. We're running not out a, of movies. Like, not actually, a no, we got, we got a new movie next week. Uh, well, maybe not Trial next week. The following, the following week we have a new one. No, there's one coming out the 7th. I'll fi- we'll figure it out. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening, and uh, have a lovely week. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.